Hello and welcome all to Into Deep. I'm your host, Jack Rowland, sending you all copious amounts of love, but not in a creepy way. Today, we welcome to the show, John Baynard. John is the owner and director of Baynard Gallery in Melbourne. With a huge international following, Baynard Gallery has built its reputation for exhibiting highly skilled figurative artists with a shared fascination for surreal and imaginative themes. John is also an artist in his own right, producing surreal, technically advanced paintings, as well as his toddler pillar sculptures, which he is best known for. We chat about John's creative career, the origins of the gallery, and some professional tips for artists on how to approach galleries. Please welcome to the show, John Baynard. Is there a point to all this? I think we're getting in too deep. You don't apply. Bad luck. Well, I have one speed, I have one gear. Go, 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 John, how are you? Good. Good. Good, good. Very well, thanks, mate. Um, really appreciate you making the time. Uh, big fan of your gallery for many years as, uh, I don't know, many, I was going to say, you know, much of Melbourne is, but much of the world is actually. You're, um, yeah, I don't know, you've, you've managed to build such a, Great international audience um, for the kind of art you um, you show as well. Just recently, I was listening to the Lex Friedman podcast, and um, I think it was an episode with Michael Malice, and he was just uh, they were going on this contemporary art uh, little spiel, and your your gallery came up as a recommended um, thing. I was like, that's awesome! You know, it's one of my favorite podcasts. Massive, massive yeah. shout out. So yeah, <laughs> good good stuff. Yeah, that was cool. I mean, I, I've been listening to Lex's podcast a fair bit too, and that would be probably an episode that I wouldn't normally um, mm. listen to because I usually listen to the more tech or AI or right. philosophical ones or, or whatever, but I, I didn't even know who Michael Malice, Michael Malice was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's an interesting character. <laughs> but people pointed it out and I, and I heard it and it was really, yeah, really exciting to have a mention on that. How yeah. good, how good. Yeah. Um, so you're a man of ma- many talents or have worn many hats, I suppose, uh, all or many, mostly uh, involved in the art world. You're a, you're a fine artist yourself. Um, you've done, what have you, you've done everything, publishing, um, created a, a collective, surrealist collective, um, your gallery, of course, and curated many, many shows and things, um, both, yeah, in, in Melbourne and in the United States. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to really kind of pick your brain on the gallery side of, of things. Cause I think, you know, I've got so many artists, I think navigating the gallery world is just such a weird, difficult, unknown territory kind of thing. Um, and yeah, you've actually done, you've, you've, you've built a career on, facilitating artists and, and uh, you know, really creating a network, uh, platforms where artists can be seen and, and thrive. So, hmm. yeah, maybe, maybe we'll start. Um, what was your kind of entry into the, the art world? Well, I guess um, as a young... I, well, firstly, this whole gallery thing kind of evolved fairly organically mm-hmm. and naturally. Like, um, I didn't... I mean, I, I guess I dreamt of having a gallery one day, but I didn't see any pathway to getting there. So that's mm. not what I was sort of um, mainly focusing on uh, as a young artist and as, I guess, a community builder. Um, yeah, basically the whole thing was a bit of an accident. Um, right. And I, I guess it started out, I, um, 
I built a website, you know, back in the very early days when social media was just emerging, like MySpace days. Yep. And, um, and I, you know, got kind of, um, I guess a bit hooked on networking with other artists mm. and, um, and sort of, um, and started featuring other local artists who also created sort of surreal works on my website, but it was, you know, John Baynard's website and these guest artists. And then at some point I got so into that, that I flipped it and I started calling it a collective mm, mm. and, uh, you know, hooked up with other groups, started publishing magazines. Um, and, uh, and then, I don't know, the, the website became quite popular and we had this very popular forum, you know, it was before Facebook. So people were meeting right. on forums mm. <laughs> um, and, um, and then I kind of turned it, it, it was like the underground Australian art collective, but then I sort of opened the, the floodgates to the whole international thing and built yeah. it into the, the Bain Art International Surreal Art Collective. And I think um, it kind of grew into this massive site with like um, 600 plus artists and I sold their prints and did all these things. And, um, and I guess, um, it, it became quite well known and synonymous with that movement because there, Mm. there wasn't any place that featured all of these artists in one place. Cause you know, it was, it was before all of that was sort of, um, easy to find, you know, on social media. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how, um, cause I was reading about your bio and stuff and it did, it did seem like there was not really much home for a lot of these modern day surrealists, painters. Mm. Uh, yeah, the more contemporary fine art kind of world doesn't tend to favor illustrative or, or, um, you know, a lot, a lot of figurative or literal work. There's definitely, you know, it's definitely there, but there's a lot more, um, I don't know, conceptual or whatever, whatever abstractions and things. And um, but now, I mean, that world of um, I don't know, pop surrealists or uh, you know, other other there's heaps of other terms. But you know, you've got like juxtapose, you've got high fructose, you've got uh, it's a massive, massive international um, scene and and market mm. for, for it. Um, it is, but it's still not really taken seriously by the blue chip art world. Or, I mean, blue chip art world's kind of like an, another level, but even by the broader art world, it's um, most galleries, almost gallerists, most art critics still don't really consider this kind of art as important. But people do. But people do, right. And collectors <laughs> do. Yeah, um, there's, there's, there's such people a market for it, right. this art that, mm. you know, where you can look at it for a second and, and sort of have... You know, it's it's narrative, it's it's pictorial, it's like you know this the skill and the the love that goes into each piece is is instantly, hmm. you know, obvious to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they don't have to read something about the piece to understand it. They can just interpret the imagery, and people love that. Hmm. And that's um, I don't know. That's what motivates me, I guess. Um, because I love that, and I love yeah. I love the I guess the unpretentiousness of, of this kind of work, the, you know, how relatable and accessible it is and, Mm. and how it sort of speaks to everyone's imaginations and yeah. Right. So your website, um, as this was kind of gaining, uh, popularity and stuff, was it being treated a bit more like a blog? Like, was it just kind of a 
community website where people could upload their stuff, a bit like a deviant art kind of thing. No. Or they would contact you and then you would do features like an online magazine. No, it was always curated because I'm a mm. bit of a control freak. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. <laughs> so I've always, I've always um, you know, curated everything that I do. Although there was a forum with like thousands of artists who were not featured artists, but they were sharing their work in there as well, you know. Cool. So there was, yeah, it was both. a community, mm. yeah. And I think that at some point I even built something into the forum where they could build their own galleries and stuff, you know, essentially mm. what you do on social media these days. But um, that was, you know, back then um, the art world and lots of other niches were split off into different forums all over the internet, mm. you know. Yeah. Mm. So how, how did, um, was it a slow burn of it really picking up with popularity or did it kind of just take because not many people were doing that? I think it just blew up because I was, I was obsessed. Um, and I, I, you know, this is all I did. Mm. I, I just, um, it was very quick because I was just, um, a hundred percent like obsessed with, with building this thing. Mm. I didn't even know what I was building. I yeah. just, I just, it was like, I was just building a community that I fit into somehow mm -hmm. and um and it kind of you know and some really amazing friendships have come out of that as well and and other projects because I guess back then not a lot of these people knew each other mm. and um so lots of things kind of uh I guess evolved from those new relationships that were being formed right yeah. right and is this kind of uh I mean how, how would you how would you describe the kind of, I mean, we've used the word surrealist, obviously, um, but how would you kind of describe the, wor the work that you platform and are attracted to and, and, and exhibit in, in your gallery? Well, I, I try and stay away from the word surrealist because of the mm. historical context of that word. You know, it is right. like a, an, an, an official movement that mm. belongs yep. in history. Um, but I, I like the word and it's, I, I guess I use the term surreal because it's more of just an, uh, it's more just an, you know, a descriptor. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, it's not like, you know, it's not about, it's, not, you know, it's, it's more open to interpretation. Mm. And I, I guess it's, I, I have a, a line on the website somewhere where it just kind of says, um, gosh, I don't even know it off by heart, but it's something about, um, should I look? Sure. Yeah. I just feel like, yeah, yeah. Go I'm for gonna, it. I haven't looked at it for so long, but if you go on the about page, it's sort of just a very ambiguous sentence that I've, I've used for a long time yeah. ever since I, That's because I, I've, I've, you know, had some criticism over the years when I used to use the word surrealist or, or other words that belong to some kind of historical movement going, well, this mm. doesn't, you know, um, relate to the manifesto of surrealism and, you yeah. know, Andre Bre Breton would have rolled in his grave and whatever <laughs> else, but there's no, there's no, this is not one thing. That, mm. that that we're representing it's it's a lot of things that don't neatly fit in any package yeah yeah, yeah. it's funny that people would criticize that i mean you you could totally see contemporary work that you could easily describe as abstract expressionism or mm. ge you know geometric abstraction or but which you'd are probably start calling it something else because it's not of that era you right know? right yeah you know yeah. it's influenced by it's mm. it's uh, i guess it's associated with but um people can be really full-on like you you wouldn't you can you can say that a, a contemporary work is like um, you know influenced by impressionism, but you wouldn't call that artist an impressionist. Mm, yeah. Well, you, they might, but mm. um, I guess some people might take objection. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And I don't I don't really mind, but I guess I had to figure out some way of representing this without 
receiving countless emails of upset people <laughs> saying this is not what this is. But um, yeah, it just says Bain Art Gallery is a curated space for highly skilled figurative artists with a shared fascination for surreal and imaginative themes. Mm. So that's like, we love weird stuff. Yep. We put a lot of effort into the work. It's detailed. I don't know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> We've been influenced by many things, including surrealism. Sure. Yeah. Sure. 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 So what are we? I have no idea. There's two well, There's a lot of things that we show. Yeah. Well, probably a lot of it is influenced by the new wave of the surrealism stuff. You know, yeah. probably a lot of it is, is informed by it's, you know, contemporaries. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're no longer thinking about Salvador Dali. They're thinking about someone more recent mm, and exactly. who was influenced by Salvador Dali. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, music's the same, right? Mm. Yeah. Most most bands are influenced by uh, these other bands, psych rock bands who are influenced by rock bands who are influenced by the Rolling Stones. Who you know, mm. it's, it, it just goes on and on. Same same with the art world. I think the thing about movements, historical movements, is back then they were reacting against things because things were so, um, I don't know, people were so dogmatic about what things should be, what art should be, that each time there was a movement, it was like, no, art can also be this. Mm. And it was like almost like um, a statement. The whole movement was like reacting against the way things were previously. Whereas now it's like anything can be anything. So nothing, like there's no manifestos. There's no, it's not like, you know, like a, a large groups of people are, uh, you know, agree on, you know, why they're all creating the work to react against a certain thing. It's, um, yeah, yeah. it's more individualist and, um, and mixed and varied. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's funny thinking back how, you know, there used to be bars where all the, all the, the lo- local artists and poets would hang out and they'd all, you know, philosophize and start making that, you know, many, many artists would be making, the same work, not the same work, but um, their own interpretations of this new way of thinking. Uh, yeah. And now we have every single option at our fingertip. We have the internet mm. and Wikipedia and AI. Like art can just go in every single direction, and it does. Um, yeah. Be interesting. Fast forwarding to you know, 20, 30 years and seeing what this time period is known for. Pro- probably at the moment, AI. I'd say. Yeah, this yeah. this ver- this specific moment for sure. Um, but I do think that yeah, like back then, I guess manifestos were important and um, movements were important. But I think now, um, yeah, it's probably more up to future historians to categorize whatever it is that we're all doing. Because I mean, I, it always sounds a bit pretentious when someone says that they belong to this movement, or and it's usually it's like just them, really. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my art is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and here's my manifesto. And it's like, okay, so yeah. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so when, when, uh, you know, this, this website, uh, is, is becoming a collective, um, you're also very focused on your own art career at this point. Um, that, that's what, uh, you know, started the website. Um, when did it start becoming a business and you're like, all right, cool. We're, we're taking this seriously. And, gonna gonna you know <laughs> make this sustainable and monetize it so we can actually survive off off the art career and things yeah well I guess I was putting countless hours into this collective mm. um and I did start I don't know what came first I think if if the publication came first or if selling prints online came first I don't know what it was but I guess the the publication side when I started publishing art books that 
I guess there were two things that were driving that. There was definitely um, an interest in making this project financially viable or sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sustainable is probably the better word because you need money yeah, to survive. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I also really wanted, I, I guess back then, I, it felt like if something wasn't in print, it wasn't like it didn't have the same level of importance. That seems to have changed now. Mm. You know, like magazines and books were so important back then because it's like this idea that, well, this website, well, I guess it's still important. You know, we don't even think about it that much, but this website might not exist or even any website referencing this website. But if you're in a book, someone in a few hundred years might look at that book and go, well, that's, or a historian might look back at it and go, well, this looks a bit like a movement. Mm. Some stuff was going on here. Yeah. So I wanted to be a part of documenting that, I guess, but also I needed some money. Um, Mm. So I published these kind of books, which were essentially compilations of the incredible contemporary artists who were, um, and I guess at the beginning it was surreal and visionary because I kind of mm-hmm. inclu- included the visionary um, art thing in in um, in the scope of what I was doing. So like Alex Gray was one of the artists in one of my books, um, the first book I think, um, and Ernst Fuchs, who was a part of mm-hmm. the fantastic realist movement, Robert Venosa, mm-hmm. you know Amanda yep. Amanda Sage. Um, all of these people who, you know, some of them were more historical. I think, yeah, H.R. Giger was in the second book. He was on okay. the cover. So, like... Um, was he around back then? He was alive, yeah. Did, and you made contact with him and stuff? And I was communicating with his agent. Cool. How who was rad. also since passed. But, um, mm. yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, but I was in, in direct contact with Alex Gray and, yeah. you know, spent some time with him and, you know, um, even uh, sort of communicated with Ernst Fuchs and people like that. But I guess, you know, I was trying to document something that was almost like too broad to sort of refine down into one thing, as we've talked about in this in this interview already. Mm. But um I guess I just I just wanted to showcase it all in, in print. And I did that for two books. Um and then I re- started releasing monographs, like um basically a book documenting the career of a few artists who I, I thought were important. And the first one was Chris Cooksey. Mm-hmm. And that one, um, that one actually did really well. It, that was our best selling book and it Great. You know, sold out of a few editions. And then we released Laurie Lipton's first art book. That was Chris Cooksey's first art book too. And we also released um, Chet Sar's first art book. But Great. during all of this, um, yeah, the, I guess uh, the effects of the, the global financial crisis were, you know, it was happening. This ripple effect was happening where distributors were taking less risks and also going out of business. Um, uh, a lot of publishers were going out of business. Um, Tashin was sort of emerging and making it so that unless you had a very low price on an art book, um, people would think it was expensive, Yeah, you know, yep. so because they were... On you know producing and distributing on a scale where they could take the price of each book way down mm. compared to what an independent person could do. Amazon was emerging, so people you know like there were all these factors in play which basically made made it so the independent publishers. Um, it was very it was already difficult, but then it kind of it yeah. kind of um, made it really unviable at that point. Oh, that must have been so frustrating. Yeah, just as it's getting legs. And I guess my dream was it, it felt as though my dream was dying. And um, and I had a, I had a child around that time, and mm. just I kept the the Bain Art Surreal Art Collective going and kept curating shows. I, I didn't mention I was curating shows overseas mm. in Santa Monica, um, and I was actually meeting 
a lot of these artists and spending time with them, which was amazing yeah. after being a part of their lives for, you know, so long. Mm. Um, and then um, what happened? Yeah, basically, um, it, I had to, it was, it became more of a hobby on the side and I started studying psychology. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. <laughs> and during that time, it felt as though my, my dreams, everything that my life was important in my life was just slowly dying. Mm. And I was just like trying to imagine myself being a psychologist and there was this part of me that was just screaming, no, don't do this. This is like, you know, was, it was painful, Yeah, you know, because yep. everything, because I just cared about this thing so much. And then... Um, oh, you built something real, you know? It resonated with so many people around the world. Hmm. Like, it's, that's, that's something worth, <laughs> you know, worth fighting for. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really know what it was, but it was, I just wanted to turn it into something. And I didn't know, I guess I wanted to turn it into a business, but without compromising my values yeah yeah <laughs> you know um and having it I, I don't know yeah but anyway i um i basically um i don't know we came up with this idea because we we couldn't even continue paying for the website and um and the the content and you know people were writing the content and all of this stuff um and obviously the the trips overseas when i was curating these shows i, I didn't really have Out money for that at this yeah. point yep um, and, uh, so basically, uh, we decided to do a crowdfunding campaign and, um, I guess that was like the, the wave of crowdfunding campaigns, you know, the Kickstarters and the, all of this. And we, um, I called out to the artists that, you know, could, would you help support this campaign by, you know, if you could, uh, provide some incentives, like maybe some prints or some people even pitched in with originals and different reward structures that you you could get if you supported the the Bain Art Collective. Mm. And I think it was like uh, keeping the Bain Art Collective alive or whatever, you know. And we were asking for, I don't know, 20-something thousand dollars. I can't remember what it was. Mm. Um, but all the artists rallied behind it. We had a big social media presence at this time, big mailing list from, you know, we'd been growing this thing over the years. Um, and that money came in within 24 hours. Amazing. And then um, uh, we decided to, um, yeah, announce a stretch goal that if we made a certain amount of money, we would open a, a brick and mortar. I think we're calling it a pop-up gallery at the start mm -hmm. just because we were scared. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just test the waters, yeah. dip our toes in. Yep. And, um, and we didn't quite make enough the money that we asked for there, but we almost did. Like, it, it, you know, a lot of money came in and that basically paid for – um, the first year of rent mm. for a physical space. Um, but straight away it was like, you know, we paid for the rent and all these other things and then the money was gone. Yep. And, um, and then we had to start selling art quick or mm. else this was not going to work. And, yeah. um, I think it took like two or three years before we started actually making money. Right. Yeah. Which is a cliche. I think that's what everyone says. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds about right for any kind of business, right? Uh, what what time I, I, frame was this? I guess we we were in a good, we were in a positive, a good situation because we had a strong brand that people already knew, the, mm. the whole Bain Art thing. Um, and, um, and we had a, a big mailing list, some of whom were collectors. Mm -hmm. and um, social media presence already. And also relationship. I guess I had goodwill and relationships with artists who were quite established. You know, some of them were quite famous, um, who were keen to show at 
a new gallery, you know, because of that goodwill and that relationship, mm. you know, whereas a new gallery might not have access to some of these names, um, you know, which really helped. Yeah. 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 I mean, sounds like you did, did it perfectly, really, just circumstantially. Build. I did, but I totally, it was not a plan. Mm. It just kind of un, un, unwrapped. It just sort of, you know, and mm. learning how to turn it into a, a business, like, you know, I guess, you know, you can't just show who you want and what you like, yeah. like you can on the internet. Yeah. Because yeah, you exactly. need to pay rent and insurance and um, staffing. Well, we didn't have staff for years. Mm. We just worked constantly. Yeah. But so what year was it when the gallery um, started up, popped up? 2016. <laughs> 2016. Okay, cool. So and what, I that's... started the collective in 2003, I think. Right. Right, right. 2003 is when it was the, turned ago. into the Underground Australian Art Collective. So it was the Bain Art Underground Australian Art Collective. Mm. 2006 turned into the Bain Art International Surreal Art Collective and then Bain Art Publishing. And mm. then 2016 was um, the physical space. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Uh, who, who were some of the early early artists that you kind of featured and have any of the early artists uh, continued through um, to kind of current day or has it been a constant kind of evolution? Do you mean feature online like back yeah, in the pe- really people, early days? people who you kind of started uh, that excited you to enough to start featuring their, their work. Um, have- well, I guess Chetsar has been a part of it since fairly early. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, I don't know. Like it's a, there's a whole generations of artists have come up since yeah. then. And it's yeah. like, and some of these people, you know, um, have ties to other galleries wherever they are in the world. And, you know, they do show with us occasionally, but they're not, and we've got, you know, great friendships and, and mm. whatever else, but they're not necessarily a part of our group of artists that we're currently showing, but I'm sure a lot of them are just, my brain's just going. Yeah. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. I mean, we literally show hundreds of artists, and trying to think of who we showed back then and continue to show, there's definitely a bunch. Mm, but mm. Um, but we also had to figure out who who can we sell, you know, like because we're there's you know when we get work shipped to us from overseas and we can't sell it, we then have to ship it back at our own expense. So there's you do take risks, but you've also got to be um, realistic. And if you've, if I've shown an artist a bunch of times and for some, for whatever reason, I don't have the, I'm not reaching the market for their work, um, or the collectors who are interested in our gallery just aren't interested in that particular artist or that Mm. work at some point you've got to move on and it's best for both parties. Yep. They should also not be investing in our gallery Mm. because it's not the right fit, obviously. Yep. Or like when an artist has reached a certain point in their career, their price point goes higher every year, you know, generally. Um, And at some point, maybe we're not the right gallery. They need to be in some, you know, Mm. other gallery because they've reached a price point that's, um, you know, maybe you know, on average higher than what our collectors are able to pay. Yep, yep. Um, So uh, starting up a gallery kind of, you know, 
you're you're an artist as as well. You've you've had a, you know, sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> not enough. These you days. are you are you've you've done you've done many. I've seen yeah, your work's incredible, incredibly skilled painter, sculptor. Um, but starting galleries, uh, you know, it's a whole <laughs> kettle of fish. All of a sudden, you're in sales. Uh, mm. It it I've, I I couldn't think of, I could not ever do that. You know, selling. <laughs> I guess it's different when you're selling other people's work, you know, it's then selling your own work, but selling mm. my own work is hard enough. Um, uh, just, just in mentally getting your head around it. It's easier to sell other people's work than po- your own I imagine, work, really. I imagine. Um, but get, getting into that less, was... It's less um, terrifying. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you felt less exposed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how did you go in those first few years of actually learning how to gal- how to be a gallerist and, and curator and all that with no staff taking in everything yourself? Well, it wasn't just me. So Corinne, um, mm-hmm. you know, my, my ex-wife uh, helped build this business, um, uh, you know, from, from the ground up. In fact, it was her idea to... Um, and we're still good friends and have mm. a child together, but it was her idea to um, the stretch goal, the right. pop-up gallery. That was her idea. Great. I think I had some silly idea at the beginning and she's like, why don't we do this? Um, mm. But, um, and um, she was definitely more of the person directly communicating with the collectors. Mm. She had a, a knack for that. Um, and, and I was the person who was more like I was curating and figuring out who we should show next and programming and marketing mm. and doing all that stuff. Um, I am a little involved in sales now, um, but I have a team and Indigo, who is our gallery manager. So Corinne's no longer involved, um, but Indigo is the gallery manager um, and she's, you know, doing the sales, um, you know, for current and upcoming shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do the sales for back inventory. Right. So, right. Um, and I guess to be honest, even in those early days with Corinne, I was involved with sales with some of our clients. Cause I built some specific relationships with some of the collectors um, and they'd reach out to me in Instagram DMS and we'd talk about things and, you know, I would make some of the sales and, you know, it's, it was a bit all over the place, but um I don't remember the question now. It's like no, it's just um, how how the steep learning curve of actually just like shifting your skill sets. I, I guess it's been a. I guess it's probably a slow evolution, right? It's an evolution, yeah. um, and there's been a lot of learning in gradually. Um, mm. And the thing is, things change as well. Like, um, I think I I because I got in the industry when the old style of gallery that didn't even really have online presence and just had their little uh, local group of wealthy collectors Mm. who didn't even have the catalogs for their shows widely available, definitely not on the internet. Mm. Um, That was the old style. And I guess I came in ignorant of that whole world and just went more of a kind of like, well, let's just put it all online, you know, um, and, and, and the whole world has gradually moved to that model mm. because that's just, I mean, this was before artsy and everything, you know, um, galleries in, in order for galleries to survive, they needed to adapt to the internet. Yeah. Whereas I was the internet adapting to galleries. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so re- well, I wasn't uh, the internet. I was no, no. a very small part of the internet. But, um, I am but the internet. I was, I was an early um, online promoter of a particular thing that had to figure out 
how to t- turn that into a gallery. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. I guess um, I did things unconventionally and in a way that wasn't normal at the time and have become since become more normal but now new things are evolving and now it's like shit how do i do that because it's like everything's changing so quickly yeah yeah so far out i mean you really were a very early adopter of you know the new tech and that really really paid off yeah because social media was a big part of it you know mm, specifically with building an online audience you know it's very very difficult to build an online audience it's much more difficult now mm. it wasn't that difficult back then so but back then when you were doing all this uh you know the online collective through your website and you you know just starting to publish books and able to get people like alex gray was there much of a platform for this style of art were there many galleries was there many other online things or was was there a big gap in the market where a lot of these um, surreal, pop surreal, dark arts, whatever genre we want to? I don't um, really call think it? there was. Everyone was hungry. There for was a, a place. mishmash of very small, siloed things mm. that were very, very much like we are all about visionary art, and they'd have like say twenty artists on there, and and this one's all about dark art, and this one's, and I, I guess I was. I, I, um, Becoming an umbrella. I, I combined a lot of different things that weren't mm. often seen together. I, I guess I saw it more as, um, you know, um, Im- imaginative art or, um, I mean, I think there was, a, there was a society of, um, art for imagination, I think or something like that. Um, uh, I think that's still around, but I think that's a paid membership. So it's like, I guess the thing is I was, a lo- I mean, most people would not sign up to be involved in something that involved a paid membership. And, you know, I guess I was just um, building something like all they needed to do is give me permission really. And mm. I, I would put in all of the work and, you know, hopefully they, they would get out of it. They'd reach new audiences. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but there wasn't, there definitely wasn't anything big. There was lots of little things. Um, uh, and there, there were galleries um, but they were also more specific. Um, I think back then there was, there were, you know, some galleries in Europe, most of which don't exist anymore. Um, Dorothy circus still exists, but that's more pop surrealist. Again, it's more niche. Mm. It's a, more of a narrow it's, you know, they show some great artists, but they're, it's more of a specific thing. And I think Copro gallery was around back then or called copper nason and i ended up curating a lot of shows there um but they were more lowbrow back then they were like more like not pop surrealist as much as lowbrow like they were like very very cartoony kind of sometimes offensive you know yeah but they evolved into more of the a more broad thing and also embraced dark art and you know pop surrealism and um i don't know they have they've definitely broadened up um right uh Corey Helford, who kind of dominates the scene, didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. That was more recent. Um, I went, I popped in there when I was in LA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Think Space, I think they might have just started around that time. But it's funny, they were like this, and that, they've changed their identity a lot too. They were very much about pop surrealism and, and lowbrow art, and also the very young, very affordable emerging artists. Mm. Now they're like, like blue chip street artists. Right, right. Yeah. You know, they've evolved a lot. They've become like a very different thing. The um, heavy hitters. Um, <laughs> but it's also kind of, they've evolved into a different scene. But there's a there's a connection and they still have some of the same artists. Mm. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, most of these galleries don't exist. I mean, there's many more, but they don't exist anymore. Um, they closed, you know, some during COVID. Yep. Um, uh, I feel like there are some galleries that have similar show many of the same artists that we do. Um, but they're all in America. Um, there is Outre, um, mm-hmm. and they existed way before my time. Right. But they were like, um, originally they were, I think it was tune in. Mm-hmm. They oh, okay. sold, um, animation cells, like collectible right. animation cells from like, you know, the Simpsons or whatever else. Yeah, yeah um, I didn't know that. And then, and then, uh, Martin developed an interest in lowbrow and pop surrealism and, and, and he basically sold a lot of prints, um, but they have moved more into the original art and mm-hmm. exhibitions thing in more recent years. But there, I feel like their their art. There's a crossover there too, but they're a bit less dark than we are. Right. <laughs> I'm a, I mean, I, I've become less dark over the years. My interests were much darker back in the day, um, and I'm more eclectic. But I still have a bit of a dark sort of yeah, bit uh, of a appetite. dark itch. Yeah. Um, and I mean, hey, you I, had Giger but, on your front cover. So. But I would say that you know probably fifty percent or more of the work that we show is is not really dark. Mm. Um, but it's all surreal. It's all imaginative, and you know. Yeah, um, you mentioned you mentioned COVID. How how was it for galleries during COVID? Because I remember, uh, you know. There were a lot of mixed reports. I heard of some artists doing incredibly well. I heard of some galleries doing incredibly well. I think, you know, art being a non-essential item, it's a luxury. Well, a, for people to purchase uh, when thing when shit's hitting the fan, uh, yeah. I would have thought art would be one of the first things to go. But then it turned out that what people would usually spend on holidays or eating out at restaurants, people are spending more time at home and happy to do their houses up and make, um, but yeah, how, how, how was, was that a real struggle time or was it a, a good time for, for art? COVID was a struggle for me mm. psychologically and emotionally yeah. with the isolation <laughs> and the totally insane lockdowns. I mean the, the, you know, what is it? 200 and whatever days of lockdown. Yeah. It was rough. That was rough. Um, that was rough. You know, uh, but financially and as far as the business goes um with it was it it just exploded really um during that time and i guess we were well positioned like the first few months of lockdowns when the whole world was like freaking out going what does this mean Mm -hmm. um that was scary there was no one buying art or very few people buying art Mm -hmm. but then when everyone kind of got used to it and then the people who have the money that buy the art I guess they there was stimulus going into the economy, like mm-hmm. they were printing a lot of money, uh, all the different governments, and uh, these people who were already art collectors or people who had some means and who whose jobs were not being affected by lockdowns or whatever else, uh, they had a lot more expendable money because they I guess they um, they weren't weren't going to restaurants like you said and they weren't going overseas they weren't even traveling beyond their house to do meetings anymore they were just money was growing yeah, <laughs> in their yeah, pockets yeah. and they started spending on all kinds of things luxury items art i guess physical because generally they would probably be spending a lot of money on um, experiences traveling mm-hmm. uh, they were seeking out experiences in luxury items i think um, so the art market went insane and i guess 
the galleries that did well were probably ones that already had a pretty good online strategy. Yeah. Yep. So I guess we were well positioned for that and many other galleries had become fairly well positioned. But I think the galleries that didn't have much of an online thing were probably... Suffered the most. Suffered the yeah. most. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. And, I, yeah. and a lot, I think a lot of the artists that didn't have a good online presence probably suffered tremendously as well. Mm. But those who who did have an online presence or were shown by a gallery that had an online presence or, you know, whatever mm. um, kind of, yeah, probably a lot of them did very well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But then uh, strangely, when the lockdowns finished in Melbourne and the whole world had been, was opening up and the vaccines were, you know, sort of, um, I guess people were just able to live a, you know, to move around yeah. <laughs> and live life. Back to normality um, a bit. Yep. Yeah, to some degree. Um, as that started happening, the art, well, it felt, yeah, it felt like everyone stopped spending again yeah. for a period of time. Yep. Everything went to a bit of a halt. Yeah, yeah. and that was scary too. That was yeah. really scary. Yeah. And it's been a roller coaster ever since. It's been up and down. Um, you know, we've had booms and busts. Like, mm-hmm. um, but it really depends on who you're showing as well because there there's always some artists who... They're so um, collectible and so exciting to people, you know, that mm. you could probably, I mean, I don't know if you could sell them during a de- their work during the depression, but yeah, right. but definitely <laughs> during this kind of unstable time, you can still sell, you know, enough of their work to make yeah. know, things viable. Yep. Um, and there are some people, you know, who we, we have, well, I mean, we're lucky to have, Sean Tan is one of our represented mm-hmm. artists and that's been massive for us. Um, yep. and this year we have, we're showing, we're having a hosting a solo show for Graham Bass mm-hmm. who did Animalia and the 11th hour. Oh wow. Yeah. So that should be interesting. And we're also showing, uh, we're hosting a solo show for Adam Elliott as well later this year who did, um, Mary and Max and Harvey Crumpet. So they're wow. kind of some fairly iconic Australian people. So it's, I mean, that, that exciting. definitely helps. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but then I make a, it's really important to me to show a lot of emerging people too mm. and mm. to show people who are lesser known, but creating these amazing works. So, and that's always, um, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of like emerging artists or upcoming artists, or I mean, e- even just, just artists, um, how, you know, navigating the gallery scene can be so difficult for artists. Uh, I, I'm sure every artist out there, many, many years in the early days of their career of trying to get people's attention, very, very difficult. Once once you've been around for enough years and if, if, your, work, if your work stands up, you know, you start to... Get to know, get to know the scene, get to know the, the people, get to know the gallerists and, and the artists. But um, how? What are some ways, um, or maybe what are some do's and don'ts of artists trying to connect with galleries and get their get their art under a gallerist's nose? From from your perspective, yeah. Well, I think. Um, I mean, I would say as far as do's go, I'll start on the positive. Yeah, I think it's important to have. Uh, to build your social media presence. Unfortunately, that's, mm-hmm. that's. I mean, that's, you know, it, it kind of sucks that artists have to be both skilled at their art and skilled at marketing these days. Sure, yeah. And so much time that could have been used to develop the art is now, you know, 
involved in 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 the social media and everything just the um, way it is it's it's a bit of it's a bit sad but um uh, to get on the radar of a lot of galleries i mean i find a lot of my art the artists we show on social media mm-hmm. I'm discovering artists every day on social media um mainly instagram so i think it's important to have some instagram you know to so have some presence on instagram um it's not a make or break and stuff could happen for you anyway but that's definitely going to help mm. and also to have I don't know if you've got a, you know, a, a sizable following that probably is appealing to galleries too. Although, you know, for me, sure, that, that definitely is something I look at, but, um, we've got such a, we're tailoring to such a niche that we, and I'm excited about a spe- such a specific type of art that if I see someone who has no following, um, who is creating really weird and wonderful stuff, mm. I want to show it. You yeah. Know? Be happy to give that. I'll, I'll, I'll try them. it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah right. You know, um, but social, I think having, I probably found them in the first place on Instagram, even if they only had two followers, I, for some reason I found them. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. and obviously, um, the more followers they have, the more likely they are to pop up on my recommended things mm. or, or whatever. Um, so that's important. I think it's important if you are going to submit your work to a gallery, you should probably look at what they show. Yeah, identify um, whether your works are see right if it fits. Fit. Yeah. yeah, and some yep. some galleries have like a don't have like a, a sort of difficult to identify kind of identity. Mm-hmm. That didn't make sense, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or don't have much of an identity. Don't have like a particular niche. They show lots of different things, and that's fine. And I guess if you find that, then yeah, sure. If you if you like that gallery, then submit your work. But if a gallery has a particular flavor of work, like what we show. And there are many galleries where the gallerist is obviously invest emotionally invested or or passionate about a particular style or a particular medium or whatever it is. Um, if you're going to make a submission, you should probably first think about whether you would fit. Right. Um, right. Yeah, and I think that's important. Um, and I think if you are in, I think it's important uh, if you're really if you feel like there's a fit. Uh, you like a gallery and you are local to that gallery to turn up to their openings um, and get to know the community, get to know the artists, mm-hmm. um, get to know the owners, the people who work there. But I think it's it's important not to shove your work down their throats in that yeah. context. Yep. And, um, and an opening is not a good time to be showing off your portfolio. No, and you should not all. be <laughs> turning up with your portfolio yeah. unannounced. Get to know them first, like try and yeah. build a relationship. They're probably more likely to be invest some time into looking mm-hmm. and taking, having serious thought about it. Um, I think, I think that's a really good one that just like turning up and so many artists, yeah. Openings can, openings can be awkward. I think for, for a lot of people, I mean, a lot of times they're, they're, fantastic wonderful but you know many many artists are are introverted people and and do find it kind of difficult but Hmm. unfortunately i think that's just like if you want to be friends with someone you have to spend time with them Uh, and if you want to work with someone you also have to uh, familiarize yourself with them and definitely embrace that Um, get out of the studio turning up you know maybe like the third fourth fifth time you're actually having a conversation with uh, some person, they're probably more likely to ask, what do you do? You yeah, what, yeah. What, what, and they might want to... What do you do with yourself? What's your job? What's Oh, you're an artist? Oh, okay. Yeah. It'll come across a lot better, I think, if, yeah, if that's I, the way it happens. I think that's a very important one. 
they'll, um, they'll, they'll approach it with an open mind if right. they already know you as a person who's not just there to show you to, to, you know, mm. to, um, I guess, gosh, with, a, with, with, a, yeah. with an agenda, with an agenda. Yeah, exactly. Even though you've got an agenda. Everyone's got an agenda, but yeah. <laughs> be subtle. <laughs> Disguise it a little. <laughs> Just be subtle. <laughs> For um, sure. But um, yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, it's really hard when, you know, um, I don't sit in the gallery that often anymore because mm-hmm. I'm more behind the scenes and I have staff. And But when I did sit in the gallery, and I know that these, my, you know, the people who work at my gallery um, probably experience this daily, but they I don't hear about every single event. But people come in and they like, they, they, you know, shove their phones in, in your face on their Instagrams and it's really, um, and you're usually Annoying. juggling <laughs> 10 things in your head at the time and, yeah. and, uh, and, and often the work is not even relevant to the gallery at all. And, mm, mm. you know, and I, I mean, if you, if someone does that and their work is just like perfect for the gallery and it's just like, you know, on the rare occasion and, and you're receptive to it, it might be. It might work. It might yield yeah. <laughs> results, but I think you're less likely to. Right, right. And you're more likely to irritate someone or, mm. you know, or, or just, or like. Yeah, first impressions last. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, it's it's not the best way mm. to start. Mm. Um, there's there's a, a better way to go about it. Right. You know, build somewhat of a relationship first. Yeah. And then they'll probably ask you what you do and, and, and they'll want to see your work. Yep. Know? Yep. What do you think about emails? I've, I've heard, I've heard other, some galleries say, do not email us. We won't respond. We do not, we don't like that. I've seen websites saying we do not accept online submissions. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen quite a few galleries really, really uh, determine that. However, well, the, I got, yeah. I got, I got my break by, by emailing. I, I, uh, okay. that, that was how I got my first show and which led to representation. So, I mean, there, there really is no one way. What annoys one person will, that's true. Will be fine for others. But, but would you, would you say emails are more deterred? We encourage emails. You do encourage emails. But submissions? we can't respond to all of them. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that can be frustrating for people, I guess, because mm-hmm. they, they come in like there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot of emails. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've just um, got to manage my time. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. I need some autoresponder or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> For sure. That's right. I've got to get in touch with those people about the autoresponder. But um, it's overwhelming, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I've, I can't tell you how many emails we get. Um, mm. But I think if they have a, a, some sort of submission guideline on their website, have a look for that first. And we do have one. We've got a page that says, you know, and if someone's read it, and the email has that, like it's obvious that they've read it. That means something to the gallery right, too. Right. It's like, oh, you read the thing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but I think, um, yeah, some galleries discourage emails, and I guess, yeah, that's not the way to approach that gallery. Yep. yep. Um, I would say that ninety nine point nine percent of the emails we receive are not artists that really fit with the gallery. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not, you know. Um, it's just not right or for whatever reason. Um, but I have found some emails, some get artists in our submissions. Yeah. Yep. Does very, mean. very small percentage. Yep. Yeah. But a percentage nonetheless. It is a percentage. Yep. <laughs> and you, you were one of those for someone else. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. So, I think that's really helpful. I, yeah. I also heard someone else saying on a podcast, I think it was Ekaterina from Create Magazine. She was saying, 
uh, some do's and don'ts. And if you are going to do the emailing, um, I mean, particularly if you're trying to uh, contact a, a gallery that's not in your city or country, um, another really good thing is like, yeah, like you were saying, familiarize yourself with the gallery. Who's the curator? Who's the director? Mm. Address it to that person. Make it personalized. Show that you've taken an interest in that gallery specifically yeah. um, is always a much better way to start any conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think if, if you're if you're spamming a hundred galleries, it's it's probably obvious um, right. if it's a generic message i guess mm. but also it's probably not a good use of your time like um they're probably i mean i don't know there probably aren't that many galleries where you're a good fit um mm. and if you found that many that's incredible yeah um uh you're better off use you know focusing on i don't know maybe five galleries at most um i don't know just randomly pluck that number out of my ass but um yeah. <laughs> uh, and and tailoring a message for them mm. But um, yeah, but then if you are local, um, get to know some of the artists and get to know, you know, like, yeah, I don't want to use this word, but weasel your way in there some other way. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, at the end of the day, um, no matter how much you network or or no matter how wonderful a person the gallerist thinks you are, or, or, you know, even if you strike up a, a wonderful friendship with, Mm. all of the staff and the gallery if you're not a good fit for that gallery then they're probably not going to show you anyway yeah yeah um so you've got to really think about that yeah where are you putting your energy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah good good advice um you were kind of you know we, we mentioned that you're an artist yourself um how has the balance of being a creative and running a uh you know a a successful business uh been are you are you still making at the moment that's a painful subject. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so... Stab me right in the heart. I mean, look, <laughs> I think the gallery is... I'm very, very passionate about the gallery and everything that I've done in this sort of scattered random career, of, uh, you know, mm. path um, has been... I'm really passionate and excited about it, but it has also, you know, slowly or even rather rapidly eroded at my own art practice so there's so many hours in the day especially if you're doing detailed work like yourself like i'm trying i've I've been trying to weave it back in for years Mm. and um i've done a bit this year but it's i always like i've got to do this much this many times a week and it's just not possible yeah and i have a child and you know i'm trying to be a human as well and (laughs) you know go to gym and not be fat and whatever (laughs) and um and uh you know and I have other interests too, which should probably just disappear. <laughs> so I do have time. Never. But the thing is that the, the workload associated with running a gallery is beyond what anyone can really imagine. It's, it's insane. Mm. I guess that's probably just running a business is probably yeah. often like that. But um, it seems like there's always a backlog of a hundred things that need to be done really mm. soon. Yeah, yeah. Always. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I feel the same. I feel the same myself now, now that I'm running, uh, you know, surviving on my own two feet through murals is probably my, my main, um, way I'm getting, getting by, but mm. yeah, it, it's that constant thing of just balancing 
with studio, uh, you know, time because studio time is definitely where my heart is. That's definitely where I get my best work done. But, uh, you know, mm. if you're in the studio all the time, you can't afford the studio. And then if you're taking on the jobs all the time to yeah. pay for that, you, you don't have time to be in the studio. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, 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 a, it's a fine. I imagine any any kind of <laughs> business is a very art, – art's a hard slog, eh? It's hard to really be stubborn enough to stick it through. But um, – well, yeah, we, lucky we for keep me, hiring new staff to, to, so that I can step out of certain roles. Mm. And it's like the, the income needs to support that. But then for some reason, every time we hire new staff or add staff for extra hours, the workload doubles. Right. I don't know what happens. Like it's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think well, I do this to myself to some degree though. What's that? Like I just... I want to grow this thing. Yeah. I, and I do... Yep. I do add unnecessarily complex projects to it and exhibitions and I and I and I do spend a lot of hours doing things that might not be entirely necessary mm. um you know and they're all positive have some sort of positive effect on the business but um yeah I just I I, I wish I could balance that out a bit with with my own art well, I mean, that's probably what's made the gallery successful, though, in the first place. I mean, if you were uh, focusing on what was important at the very initial time of making the website and not, you know, inverted commas, fluffing about with this online thing that you had no idea what it's going for, it's completely built mm. the and paved the way for this incredible uh, gallery and business that you have now, you know. So mm. I think all those, all those other things that you are doing probably are what actually contribute to the success of... of uh, Bain Art Gallery, but um, yeah. Anyway, I think ADHD has a lot to <laughs> <laughs> like um, the hyper focus element yeah. of ADHD. Yep. It's been twenty years. Yep, yep, totally. <laughs> the uh, the super, both the superpower and the hindrance of uh, many many creatives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe most creatives actually. It seems like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you've you've still managed to do. Um, you know, you've. You've um, you still produce uh, some really de- highly detailed paintings. Your your toddler pillar project um, that you, that you established many many years ago. You're still ma- f- making ways that you are keeping your creative pursuits alive with um, really interesting collaboration projects. So you did mm. this this big. Um, you provided a mold of one of your toddler pillars, which are these sculptures um, with uh, the torsos of many. Um, uh, like baby dolls all kind of put together to create a kind of insect-like centipede mm. mutant baby alien thing, which is really cool. But, yeah, you're providing molds for other artists to get creative with that. You did um, a, a really, really interesting um, and awesome collaboration with uh, Tim Malloy, uh, a wonderful um, illustrator from – is he from New Zealand? Yeah, but he lived here for a long time as right. well. Or he's, he is in Australia. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah. I love his work. He's yeah. really, really cool, interesting alien yeah. illustrations and so stuff. So we're making the Toddler Pillar graphic novel together now. Yeah, great. Yeah. How's it going? Toddler Pillar Apocalypse. <laughs> awesome. it's, um Well, it's Tim and uh, Christopher Ulrich and myself. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're doing the art, really. I'm just sort of, I guess I'm more, more of a director sort of. Concept or, or, I'm not even a director because it's more collaborative than that. Mm, you mm. know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. it's, I don't even know what it is. I don't know what the roles are. But I mean, that's 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 like, it's that's, a, that's a creative project. That's giving birth to something. But that it's nothing like. It's nothing like just making some art solo, mm. like just you know, paint on a 
on a board or whatever it is right. that you do that hits the spot. You know, like totally. if, if collaborative projects little... are creative, but it's not like scratch. It's a, a compromise. Niche. Yep. It's exciting and it's wonderful, but it's a compromise. It's not just, you know, yeah, it's, it doesn't hit the spot in the same way mm. I, for me. Yeah. Um, how long do your paintings take? Ah, forever. Cause I'm just, I just, I've got, I don't know. I'm a obsessive. Yeah. If you, if you weren't doing your gallery and you just had a good time slot in your studio, about a month, a few weeks, month. Oh, more. look that, I mean, the amount of detail that I end up putting into these things and the way, and also just no, no clear plan or structure. Right. <laughs> Seeing where it goes. I just, it, it just evolves. Right, um, right. I mean, I could take years on one piece. Right. I, wow. I mean, I, I could, and I have, mm. I did take years on one piece. Yep. Um, but I didn't work on it consistently. Yeah. I had a long bunch of breaks. things going on yeah. at the same time. And I was always doing all this other stuff. So I, I have no idea what yeah. that yeah. would look like if I did. Mm. That is the thing about highly detailed work, isn't it? I mean, there's when you really, unless you have super hyper focus, that that's all you want to do every hour of the day. Um, you know, it, you do kind of max out how many a year you can produce. You do. Um, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to make a a large body of work every year when you're doing hyper realistic or detailed or mm. you know super representational painting. I think I'm I'm a bit masochistic because um, I mean I I generally do miniatures. Um, so my old mm. paintings are like you know twelve by twelve inches, right. thirty centimeters, or, or or smaller. I think one was ten by ten inches, mm -hmm. which. Um, and it, they, I mean, people think they're much larger because there's a lot of stuff going on in there. Mm. Um, you know, lots of, like teeming characters and, you know, it's kind of busy, but I hope balanced. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> um, and now for some reason, after a long period, a frustrating period where I haven't really got to any art, I started a painting or the under sketch or the, the planning of a painting, which I've worked on quite a lot already. Um, it's probably five or six times as large as any painting I've done and um, and even more dense with detail. So, I mean, I don't know <laughs> it's a hard what I'm doing, but I just really want to do this thing. And it's, I guess any art that I do doesn't make any kind of economic sense. Mm. Like yeah. as far as hours go, I'd probably be making less than a cent an hour, yeah. <laughs> even if I sold it for an extraordinary price. Totally. But um, that doesn't matter to me. I guess I just want to do something that I'm happy with, Yeah. but I'm, got the privilege of having a separate income stream, I guess, mm. you know, I, 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 not relying on your works for, I, for, I couldn't um, because yeah. I'm too, I'm, I'm mental. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I just couldn't do it. Yep. Yep. Um, I would, um, yeah, spend months on a, on a, on the 12 by 12 piece. Yeah. And how's that going to work? <laughs> yeah, t totally, totally. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> I, I can relate. I mean, sometimes when I I've I've really taken to painting really large. I love painting really large works. Like hmm. a friend of mine was um, Spencer Rose was determining. He had a good point of some people are process driven and some people are outcome driven. And like when really large detailed works, I just love the outcome. But the process is it's it's hardcore, man. Hmm. <laughs> like, and I don't I don't. I tend not to up my brushes. You know, I'll, I'll get all the block in oh. and I still end up using these tiny brushes. I would totally like, do that. Exactly. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's pretty basic. That would ruin my life. Yeah. I mean, I love, <laughs> I love the results, but like, oh, it's... Um, I think I'm very outcome driven as well because yeah. um, my process is pretty painful. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I do get into the flow and love it at times and, you know, but it, it's like, I mean, I definitely love it and I love it as you approach the end. Like that's, sure. that's the fun bit, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's starting to look like something and it's that big I can middle. see the end. It's the big middle bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my process, I feel like my entire process is just fixing all the mistakes. I, it's just like everything's wrong and totally. I need to make it right. Yep. <laughs> Another artist, a friend of mine said, uh, Ash Coates said that. It's like making a painting is just making a, f- a shitload of fuck-ups and then you're constantly looking at those mistakes and you're trying to correct them. Yeah. And it's and it's like, it's suffering. It's yeah. hardcore. It's just There's a lot of not anxiety. Good enough. That's not yeah. good enough. <laughs> fix that, fix that, fix that. And I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I relate to that too. And I use um, like... I sometimes use these brushes that aren't meant for oil paints because they're so fine. They're like, um, they're actually made for, for painting miniatures, like oh, using like, uh, like enamel models. on, on models. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So the oil, the, the, the Terps destroys these paints really quickly mm. and they're expensive too. So it's kind of dumb, mm-hmm. but that's, that's the detail I want. Yeah. <laughs> tiny, tiny brushes. <laughs> and it's, sure. um, it's painful. Like when you're trying to like paint a, a monkey's face, that is a quarter the size of your small fingernail. Yeah. You know, I can, yeah. um, and, and, and you, you're a human and you shake. <laughs> I can um, end up painting, repainting that face like 10 times. Before you know Before it. he's got the right expression. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I popped into the gallery recently and there's uh, an exhibition very sorry, I forget the artist's name, um, but these beautiful works, and some of them are tiny. Uh, it's right Naoto Hattori? Right oh. across from the um, the desk. Like the desk is looking at those works. Oh, who are we talking about? And some beautiful monochrome um, kind of landscapes, and some of them I think have some animals or figures in them. Is this um, current? This is what I we've got now? I believe so, yeah. Oh, um, that's uh, Brian Mashburn. Yeah, I think that's And the, that's the backgrounds are like very um, and misty atmospheric. and atmospheric. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But oh my God, like oh, there's this one that's like oh, this big, it's so small. I mean, you know, the length of your hand, maybe a little longer, yeah. bit bit longer actually. And I, I just can only imagine that the size of brushes that are being he's used. He's quick that's, though. Really? Yeah. He's, he's probably one of the most prolific artists I've ever encountered. Mm. He's um, like, he's quick. Yeah. He must have, he has a real, like, I feel like I don't really have a, a structure or a, a process or a plan. I've got some, somewhat of a plan, but it's, mm. I think people like him. And I mean, I can think of a lot of other artists. They know, they know how to use their time. They're just like, right. yeah, they just they procrastinate like me. They just, yeah. uh, they've got a process. It's like, you know, whatever, however many steps into each piece and they're working their way around the room. It's yep, like, totally. I mean, I don't know. I'm not in the studio with him, but. Otherwise, he's just um, he might have a, ro- a team, uh, an army of robots or yeah. something. I don't know. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not he's not mix, he's not. I don't I don't think. And I'm sorry, Brian, if you're listening to this and I'm wrong, but I don't think his approach is fixing mistakes. Yep. It's just. I, I think it's just. A- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. Um, who would be some of the uh, artists that uh, you think? Maybe who? Who are some of your current favorite artists? That I mean, I'm sure that's a big, broad question, and it changes all the time. You don't need yeah. to put too much thought onto this, but just someone that c- comes to mind that you're really, really vibing their work. I always instantly think of Christian Rex Van Minen. Oh, yep, yep. He's like 
I don't know. He's been my favorite artist, he, my favorite living artist he, for he so long. He does those uh, weird abstract faces and there's these floating shapes that are like yes. gummies yeah. or something. And man, his texture is yeah. insane. I cannot understand how that guy, like, and he does warped faces. Yeah, that they're kind of deformed skin and, and they've got tattooed, like faded tattoos on yeah. them. And yeah. Yeah, good call. That so guy's nuts. I've been a part of his, like we've been connected <laughs> since like the very beginning of his career. So this mm-hmm. is like one of the wonderful things about my journey in all of this is I've watched some people like Blow up. grow oh, yeah. into this, these yep. amazing, like incredible, like renowned artists. But mm. I, like at the very beginning and, and it was before he even knew how to do all of that stuff. I remember his first painting where he figured that shit, some of that shit out. Yeah. Like, um, wow. And uh, he was he was in, um, I think, the second book, Metamorphosis mm-hmm. Two, that I published. Mm-hmm. And I used to curate shows, and he was in in those shows in America. And I hung out with him a bit as well. And just what's happened for him, um, like he he even he even mentioned in like one of his early interviews that I, like I I was like um, this was like mind blowing that I was like one of his early breaks. You know, like I right. provided. Fantastic. His, his first break. So, How good is so, that? That's yeah. got to make you feel feel good. That's but awesome. <laughs> he's he's a he's a giant now, and he's like. I mean, we we communicate. There's a friendship there, but you know, I've never shown him at my gallery. Mm. You know, I mm. guess my gallery. He's he's um, he's in a different league. You know, right. Um, right. Well, he's just he's just he's doing really well, and he has yeah. galleries that much, he's working with. Much deserved. Much um, deserved. So he's yeah. he's amazing. Um, but yeah, just watching these people, um, and some people who have shown me their work. 20 plus years ago where I was like, not really that excited about what they're doing and now like absolutely brilliant. You mm. know? Yeah. 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 Um, totally. And yeah. So, um, he's always, he's been my number one for a long time. Um, gosh, I always say his name, but then I'm like, I'm, then I'm lost. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> I love Yana Bryke. I'm not sure her work. Um, she her? does these yeah. beautiful, uh, and we do show her, um, she does these beautiful kind of, um, natural scenes of like, you know, um, I guess women sort of, I guess, uh, exploring what it is to be a woman and their mm-hmm. sexuality. And, um, they're quite sensual. Um, uh, but they're, they're also very surreal. Yeah. Um, great. I, I really love her work. Um, I love Adrian Cox. Yeah. How good is he? And, um, and we're, I mean, Again, like that, he, I, I was, um, Will, one of the first galleries that he showed in. Mm, fantastic. And, um, like, I mean, he'd shown in a few, I think, but um, we, I was there from the early career and it was just, it's such a, it's mm. been amazing, you know? Um, yeah. And he's, he's doing really well now. Yeah, um, big fan of his work. And I'm, but luckily he still shows with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great, great. Um, yeah. Um, um, who and I think Sean Tan as well. Like, yeah. Um, he, he, like he's just, just not his narrative and his um, his scope and and everything that he does is just kind of like he. I think a lot of what I generally like is highly detailed to to the point where generally highly detailed to the point where it doesn't even look like a human made it. Right. Like I love <laughs> <Super> that. Super freak. <laughs> and Sean's not that, although he has mm. that ability and did that in his earlier career. Mm-hmm. But um, his stuff's a lot looser and more expressive, but he's really, like, I've grown into that. Right. Just his, you know, his, his, the, 
the content of his work, but also I, I think it's amazing, you know, mm. um, and the stories that he tells and just, and the human himself. I'm just, I love him. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Rad. Mm. Um, and just, la, uh, just to finish up, final question would be, who would be some of the uh, more underrated artists that you think just should be more famous or should have a bigger following and just need more attention? Um, uh, yeah, I feel like Bo White mm-hmm. is a local artist who is absolutely brilliant. His stuff's fairly hyper-realistic, but very strange and imaginative. And he's got kind of that, he's got that sort of viscous, visceral kind of blobby, shiny thing that um, I guess um, uh, Christian Rex Van Minen has mm-hmm. has nailed. Like he's just the master of textures. Yeah. Um, yeah. he's, he's a Melbourne artist and, and a good friend as well. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he, I feel like he should be a lot better known. Um, mm. uh, it's really hard to pick. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, so many, I f- right. I feel like I should be saying 50 different oh, names. Totally. Right now. Yeah. I'll give Nicole Evans a shout out. I just think yeah. her, I, I used to work with her and, uh, she is such an incredible painter, just such, yeah. uh, her yeah watch, watching her paint i was i was always in in awe um when i used to do some mural work with her um she is amazing yeah really yeah. really beautiful and she's really come into her own style now and yeah beautiful her animals and tigers just so so good so yeah shout out to and Nicole. all of the the liquid and the mm-hmm. the shine the shiny yep liquid yep <laughs> <laughs> for sure i like the way she does that um yeah, there's too many people. It's yeah. really, really hard. I'm just trying to. I feel like I, like I, I feel like this is going to be over, and I'd be like, why didn't I mention that person? <laughs> always, always. I'm glad I mentioned Bo, though, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for uh, you know making the time. Um, you know, Bine Art has you've created so much of a platform and opportunities for so many artists, and I think yeah, the the work that you show resonates with a lot of people, um, and. Yeah, great stuff. And yeah, I look forward to seeing uh, some more of your paintings come out too. Thank you. I, <laughs> if my New Year's resolution plays out, which I've already broken, by the way, um, there will be a painting at some point in a few years, maybe. <laughs> great. Awesome. <laughs> but it might be one that takes me a few years. It's, it's yep. kind of insane. But yeah, awesome. uh, it's, been, it's been great. Um, I don't know. This feels right. This feels like a good interview. I don't Fantastic. Know. I'll never listen to it. Yep. But I think it's okay. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, how, what's the best pe- uh, way for people to connect with you or, uh, you know, jump on the shop or anything or find some prints or artworks that they might. Um, I guess, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Check out baynart.org. That's B-E-I-N-A-R-T dot O-R-G. Um, or, you know, check out the Instagram, Baynart Gallery on Instagram. Um, I'm not really, I sort of shied away from social media over the years. Um, I used to post things from myself, Mm -hmm. but I, I have an Instagram account that's died because I don't like to look at it. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) saying I've got a Twitter account that I also don't look at and a Facebook account that I definitely am never going to look at. Um, I just, I think I. I've, sounds healthy. I don't like it. Sounds, sounds healthy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess... Um, you got in, you got out. You used it as a tool and you... And I don't you like what it it's become with the influencer culture and all this stuff and, I, and it's just such a grind. Yeah. Um, yep. But I don't know. 
I guess, yeah, check out the gallery. Check out the That'd gallery. That'd be cool. Fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, mate. Really appreciate your time. Really, really uh, great, great talking to you. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Cool. Take care. Thank you. Bye.